Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 610 for October 4th, 2019. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth 83 of X. I got to tell you, I'm having so much fun with PBS now, Bart. Oh, good. I like when that happens. <laughs> I wanted to read a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, of what I wrote to you and Dorothy. Oh, sure. So I, I was really pleased with the way my PBS 82 homework went because I'm very proud of myself. I have to give a big thanks to Dorothy and also to praise your show notes. And I wanted to kind of talk through the little baby steps I got, I did to get there. So when I, I didn't do the homework before, like the whole summer went by, I had to do the homework and, and I struggled with getting it completely done. Uh, and when I did do it, I used Ajax Hell with one Ajax call embedded inside of another. And you actually had to help me do the loop through the views. But I started back, I backed way up. I made myself a really, really simple example of, um, I think it was Apple products where I said, okay, I'm going to spit out on the screen an iPhone and, and an Apple Watch. And I forget what the third thing was. And I was going to have three things with it, like the name and the price and something else. Anyway, I went through and I did that very simply with, with things embedded. And then I very slowly just had successes, little tiny successes of stripping pieces out and saying, okay, now it's the piece, it's in a mustache, but it's going to be in an outside file. Now, how do I do two of them? What do I do with that? And so by doing those little baby steps, I was cementing the, the practice that you always talk about. Before I took this look at my giant program for my game that I hadn't looked at in two months. Um, so that really, really helped. But the other thing that I wanted to praise you for was I'm sure it drove you crazy to use such long variable names in your recent show notes, but it was fabulous. Like data promise, TPL promise, all TPL and data promise, you know, random number, random number of random numbers. I'm sure you just wanted to write RNRN. And I know that Pretty that much, was yeah. for me that you did that and maybe some others got benefits of it, but the, that really helped me to read the show notes, to understand and put all the pieces together. And in the end I succeeded and it was glorious. Well, excellent. So that, that does make the, the sort of the uh, stress is the wrong word, but the, the, the mild shudder. Annoyance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Twitch I get when I write those variable names. It's like, okay, well, it's worth it. I know RN should have been random number, but if you'd written it, I'd be going, it, it, it's just, it gives me cognitive load when the load is already so big to start with that it mm -hmm. really helps when you're so explicit in your variable names, because I'm not spending that cognitive, cognitive load trying to figure out what that variable name is. I can tell what it is, and then I can look at the command and say, oh, now I know what it's doing and why it's doing it. So it made a huge uh, impact on my success, I think. Okay, well, I'll keep doing it then. Yay! All right. Well, where are we going today? Okay, so today we are finishing up our first tour through Bootstrap. Oh! Um, yeah, we're like... You know, the intention wasn't to do everything Bootstrap can do. That, that was never our goal, uh, and we haven't done that. Uh, but what I am hoping is that at this stage, we know enough Bootstrap that you've had a flavor of enough pieces of it that anything else you may need, you should be able to self-service. You should be able to basically <laughs> scratch your own itch, um, which I think you've already done a few times. Um, Not lately. Lately, I've been right, working so hard holiday. on my JavaScript that I've been... Uh, ignoring the bootstrappy parts, but I know I could. 
Yeah, and you have. Um, and I think yourself and Doris did a whole bunch of stuff independently when getting the uh, PBS index up to its current level of coolness. Oh, Dorothy did all of that part. I didn't do any of that. No, I'm just, hey, Dorothy, you know what you should do? <laughs> well, that's worth something, too. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I said, come on, that JSON thing. That sounds fun. Go figure that out. And she went, ooh, it does sound fun. And then all the rest is her. So, no, I can't take any credit other than I'm kind of the idea girl. You know, that's my job. Yeah. Well, that's, that's hey, I have too few ideas sometimes. So that's, that's a lot to be Idea woman, that. sorry. <laughs> uh, the man in the traditional sense as person. We'll take it. Yes. Okay, so the the last thing we're going to do is... So if you remember that Bootstrap is sort of a, a four-legged stool where we have the grid layout stuff, and we're, we finished with that quite some time ago. We had the utilities. We did those quite some time ago. We then had Bootstrap's opinionated rendering of normal HTML elements, so how Bootstrap does lists, how Bootstrap does tables... So, you know, Bootstrap's version of the normal HTML stuff. And then the last piece, which is the funnest piece, is the components, which are basically chunks of Bootstrap functionality that are not part of standard HTML. They're little little reusable widgets that Bootstrap has made for us to save us reinventing the wheel over and over (laughs) and over again. Today, we're finishing off with probably the most generic of those widgets. It is... It is are, hard are we to gonna describe do the, the uh, challenge solution first, or jump straight into this? I uh, know we'll do the challenge solution first. I'm just uh, just giving just an the intro. setup. Okay, yeah. Uh, so the, the, because this is such a generic uh, piece, it's going to be really hard to give you a precise definition of what it is. <laughs> but I do promise you that you will never be able to surf the web the same way again because you're going to see so-called cards. Now they don't; they're not all bootstrap cards. I mean, the concept of cards are everywhere. But you are going to see cards as the atom of information everywhere. It's going to be serving, oh, they're cards, and they're cards, and they're cards, and they're cards. <laughs> In fact, you're going to go to podfeet.com, you're going to go to your own homepage, and you're going to say, oh, look, I have cards. I oh, didn't know really? I had cards. I didn't you have know cards. I had cards. Yes. Okay. Uh, that list of all those podcasts, they're little cards. Hmm. Pretty okay. Sure they are. Well, I do them with little widgets, but... Right, but those little widgets would be... They might be cards. Well, not necessarily under the hood, sort of conceptually. So if if web developers were describing those to each other, they would probably call them cards, although you haven't given them a border, so maybe web developers have a quibble with you. But on the whole, I would say a lot of web developers would call those cards. Okay. So it's it's sort of an abstract concept of because they're little pieces of you know you have a little you have a little piece of information for the Nasilla cast and a little piece for chit chat across the pond and a little piece for chit chat across the pond light. So you can imagine like a game of top trumps, right? You know you have your Nasilla cast card, you have your chit chat card. Anyway, so that's where we're going. So that's the the last piece of bootstrap, which is what we're going to be doing today. Um, and then I want to, next week, we'll be circling back to pick up some more cool features in the latest versions of JavaScript, because JavaScript has gotten better since we started, because we've been doing this a while. And then I think I promised you we'd get practical for a while, and I haven't quite decided how, but we will find a project to do, something something that ties it all together, and then we move on to something completely different. So we shall see. And we are getting votes in Slack uh, on what we should do. So we if you are. have opinions. And so far, the unanimous verdict of 
everyone who has emailed me, Slack posted me, tweeted me, in any way contacted me whatsoever has been, yes, go to the server side. Yes, even if it is an imperfect language, go PHP because it's so darn useful. (laughs) Okay. I, I, I think that is looking... You know, if I were a gambling person, I'd say, you know, yeah, odds are we're heading for PHP, which is fine. I'll, I just have to get over myself. <laughs> I don't like it, but it's it's gotten so much better. And like we did with HTML, like we didn't, I didn't teach you bad HTML3 and icky HTML4. We jumped straight to HTML5. Well, we get to do the same trick with PHP. So most of the stuff I really, really, really hated was PHP3. Uh, but we're on PHP7 now. So, so maybe you won't hate it as much when you when you oh, I know it more won't. into it, right? Yeah, no, I, yeah, no, I know, I know it will be much much better uh, because I behind the scenes, of course, have been studying ahead a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yes, anyway, so that's where we are. So our homework then, the challenge set at the end of the last one was one final look at our number guessing game that we've been working on for quite some time now, um, and the final tweak here is just to get it to use what we learned last time, which is our async await goodness, to basically redo our promises in such a way that we have nicer code to round out our game. So ultimately, this is where we were always going to with the game. From the first moment I thought up the game, the point was to get here. And we're doing it all in the nice async await way. So... Where we left our game, you had a number of templates. Can um, I say something nice about async await? Sure, yes. I really enjoyed refactoring that each time. I know, you know, starting with uh, Ajax Hell and, and refactoring and refactoring and refactoring each of these pieces and doing promises. And when we got to async await, I looked at my code and went, I can come back six months from now and I will know what that means. That is that so is, yeah. much more readable and beautiful and tight and crisp. Yep, because there's no new functionality, right? There's nothing you can do with async await that we can't do the old-fashioned way. Right. But my God, is it more maintainable. <laughs> yeah, really massively. So yeah, this is so much nicer to write code this way. And that, that, is, why, that is why we've gone this way. So really, we just needed to refactor was all that was needed because we had all the pieces and it was working fine using the old methods of chaining our promises. And now we get to just redo it as async await. So the first step I took was I had a function I had named load templates. So that function um, was returning a promise. Uh, So I decided to be explicit about it. So there's no rule that says every function that returns a promise should be labeled an async function. But again, we come back to the whole concept of maintainability and stuff. If you put the keyword async in front of a function, it is really obvious to six months from now, you, that you intend this function to always return a promise. If you just leave it as function load template and you do happen to return a promise, that will work the same, but it's not going to be as clear to you what's going on. Or to somebody else who has to pick up your code. Yes, 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 yes. Because if you're working as part of a team, then it's twice as important that you do that kind of thing exactly. Yeah, so just be nice and explicit. And also, if you're using a clever IDE, then the IDE picks up on the fact that you've used the async keyword. 
So you may actually get better code help if you are explicit about it as well. So again, win, win, win. Hmm. And if you're using a documentation tool like JSDoc or ESDoc, again, that will automatically pick up on the async keyword and update your documentation. So it's just so many wins. Yeah, it's wins all the way down. Uh, So the next thing then that absolutely needed to happen is within our document ready handler, we needed to be able to use async and await. And my chosen method for this was the good old fashioned sledgehammer approach. I just made my entire document ready handler asynchronous. So I just basically went dollar. Yeah, so the dollar function accepts any callback as its argument. Well, an asynchronous function is a function as a callback. So I just literally put the word async in front of the anonymous function and hey, presto. So Is there any dollar... downside to just doing that as a regular course of business? Say, just in case I use any awaits in here, I'm just going to async the whole thing? Um, Potentially, if you are not good at your error handling. So if you if you uh, make something async, you then are responsible for making sure you do. You have your try catches everywhere inside. Yeah, because otherwise you will end up with unhandled promise rejections. And that's a bad thing. That is a bad thing, which at the moment the browser is mildly forgiving of. But as I say, in much of JavaScript and not forgiving, um, Node gets extremely cranky with you if you have um, un- unhandled rejection. It doesn't handle this unhandled rejection at all well. Um, and, you know, everything, all the docs are saying, you know, the, you know, unhandled promise rejections are deprecated. Do not do this in your code. Update your code. Yada, 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 yada. So if you do just take the sledgehammer out, you need to be careful that all the way through that you're, you have try catches around the stuff that could throw errors. Because otherwise you'll end up with your, your async function rejecting and then you'll have an unhandled rejection. I love try catch. I mean, it's just so... Try this, catch that. Try this, catch that. It's just it's just so tight. Exactly. And we're down to maintainability again because you could do everything in a try-catch with a bunch of if-else settlements, right? You should be constantly checking for the success of this and the failure of that. And that was the old way of coding. You know, you'd be have if-else statements all over the place trying to catch all your problems. But again, not maintainable. Not obvious what's going on. But there is nothing more obvious than a try-catch. I'm doing something that may go wrong and here's how I handle if it goes wrong. Again, nice, clear separation between this is what should happen and this is how I deal with it when it doesn't. Right. So uh, the next thing then is, um, so once my function, once my, uh, once I had made my document ready handler async, um, I went, what did I do next? So before I made any changes, I show my full load templates function here. I say full, it's, it's not particularly long. Um, so we have, um, what are we doing? This is where you're, you're going to get rid of the, uh, dot thens and, and the error coming in, uh, having to be explicitly said, but it's a little hard to see. It's difficult to tell where the errors are without your comments. Yes. Sorry. Thank you, Alison. Um, I read it. So what I actually have here is the bit, sorry, it's not my load templates function. It's actually the bit inside my document ready handler that calls my load templates function. So in the past, it would call load templates dot then, and then dot then takes two callbacks, one callback for when things go right, and then one callback for when things go wrong. And the only reason you can tell which is which is because I chose to put comments at the top of each um, handler. 
But there's nothing inherent in the code to make that clear. So in this case, my success handler simply called reset game. And my error handler basically called my function for rendering an error to the screen. And then for completeness, it console.logged the error so that I could, you know, developer me could see what went wrong. So, you know, user sees the error message printed with the mustache and developer me sees the console.log with the details. Okay. So if we refactor that then, A, the code gets a little bit shorter. It's now 12 lines instead of 14. But the shorter isn't really what makes it better. Like you've said, we now get to use try and catch because, of course, await translates a rejection into an error. So we say try, await load templates, catch, and then we have our error handling code. And then after the templates are loaded, which now means it's not stuck in a handler somewhere, it's now just the next line of code. It is actually after we call reset game. So it's much clearer what happens in what order. And it's much clearer what is, this is what could go wrong. And this is what to do if it does go wrong. So it's just I like like the sequencing too, that it's try this. If something goes wrong, do that. Then everything's good. Just go on to the next step. It's sort of in reverse in the dot then function because you say dot then reset game. But if you had an error, which now really happened ahead of the other one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's out of order. It's all weird. And the only reason we know what's what is because it's commented or because we've RTFM'd the dot then function. It's not clear. It works, but it's not clear. So there we go. So that is a a, a good um, illustration of the kind of refactoring you do. And you would have done exactly the same kind of refactoring in your code, I'm guessing. I did. My code is Uh, a beautiful thing to see. (laughs) Now... The rest of my sample solution, to be honest, wasn't even asked for in the game, or sorry, in the challenge. I just decided I'm just going to do all of my stuff as uh, async await, even the stuff I didn't specifically say to do. So I rewrote my reset game function and used it as an excuse to give you an example of an asynchronous immediately invoked function expression, or in other words, a... um, an async anonymous function, a self-executing anonymous function. Uh, So my reset game function, the first thing it does is it sets a few global flags, like it says that game on is false, it blanks some dialogues, it empties some parts of the interface, it just gets everything ready, and then it puts in the HTML spinner so that you see the nice document loading, sort of nice nice bootstrap spinner, Um, sets a few things to null, and then... It goes off and it fetches the random number via Ajax. And so in my original code, we had a $.ajax with a whole bunch of, you know, arguments. Dot then resolved. And inside the resolved handler, we save the number, we blank the number of guesses, we reset the game UI, and then we say game on equals true. And then we have our second handler for what to do when it rejects, and we basically render our error. Mm-hmm. Well, again, we can rewrite that, um, but this time we can use an, an a, a short little async IIFE. And so all the stuff at the top stays the same. You know, the game on equals false, you know, setting up the spinner, because all that stuff has to be done first regardless. So that always happened first. And then we just have our open parens, async, open close parens, fat arrow, open curly, basically the stuff you're going to have in text expander. <laughs> Um, And then we have immediately, we have a try catch so that we don't have any um, unhandled promises. We just say try. 
and then it's all the stuff from before, so make the Ajax call. But this time you can say random number becomes equal to await the Ajax call. That's a lot clearer. Yeah, you know, this was a piece I, I'm just going to keep pat myself on the back for figuring this stuff out. When I realized that something I had uh, was being dealt as a promise, and then I said, well, wait a minute, I've got an await. That's not the promise anymore at all. That's the actual value. <gasps> it was like, poof, top of my head blew off. I was so excited when I saw it for myself and how I could simplify things. Yeah. So now it just becomes a simple, you know, so now inside the trial block, everything's nice and linear. Get the random number. Blank the guesses. Reset the game UI. Game on. That's how nice. you do it in order. And my nice. code is now in that order. <laughs> and again, the catch block just has, you know, print an error, console.log the error. So, all nice and simple, full solution in the zip file as pbs82-challenge-solution, because I'm very imaginative. <laughs> well, it helps when you keep the consistency. Well, that's great. True. I, I so, have to tell you one more thing on getting my homework okay. done. I had so much fun. I was really bummed that I had to get back to other work I had committed to do. Uh, I'm working on oh. a video tutorial, and I was like, <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> need to make a little project for yourself i do i do but i still need to get this other stuff done okay so yeah work doesn't go away unfortunately yeah okay so our last bit of bootstrapping bootstrap cards the most versatile bootstrap component in my opinion um we are going to do the highlights of bootstrap cards because being versatile means you can do a lot so the first thing here is a link to the relevant section of the Bootstrap documentation. And again, at this stage of the game, I'm hoping I have armed you with the needed confidence and practice to be able to self-service these kind of things. Mm -hmm. That's my hope, anyway. I think so. And if not, then, I, then it is me who has let you down and not the other way around. So, even though they're very versatile, all cards will have some things in common. So the first thing all cards you write will have in common is that they will have they will be contained within a tag that you will give the class card. Nice and simple. You can use any HTML tag you like, but 99.999% of the time when you look around the internet, you will see that people turn divs into cards. So you'll say div class equals card. Okay. Unless you take some sort of proactive action using either a bootstrap utility class, like, say, W-75 to make something 75% width, or you add some additional CSS of your own, so you might say style equals width colon 500px semicolon. Unless you do something proactive, a bootstrap card will expand to fill all available horizontal space. So if you put it inside the grid, it will fill a cell in the grid or a call in the grid. Right, So it will stretch to fill whatever space you give it unless you proactively do something else. In other words, it behaves like a paragraph. So I'm uh, jumping into your code a teeny bit, but I I read farther and then went back and reread this. And I was uh, want to make sure I understand in your in your code, you say mm -hmm. div class equals card style equals width colon 300 pixels. That means that card would be 300 pixels, not all the way across. Correct. Bing, bing. That's and what you were just saying. OK, good. Yes, that is exactly gotcha. what I was just saying, because, okay. yeah, 
Because a card looks a bit weird when you only have one of them and it takes the full width of your screen. It doesn't look like a card anymore. So yeah, yeah for, for our examples, I needed, I just wanted to have the cards looking like they would look in the real world. Um, a lot of the times a card might be, you know, floated right or something would be something else you could do with a card. Um, so you might set its width and float it right and then have mm-hmm. it as like a little aside or a little nugget or, you know, nugget of information or something. Um, yeah, yeah, so I guess the other thing to say is, you know, cards are often used if you want to show information about a collection of similar things, you might make a collection of cards. Or if you need to show some sort of an aside, something that is bonus extra info, you might put it in a card. They're sort of two really common use cases of cards, but they really are very versatile. So there's no such thing as a wrong use of a card, I would argue. Okay, so they all have the class card and they all try to take up the full width if they can. So at the top level, so you have your div class equals card or it, you know, span, could be anything, but probably div class equals card. So what can you put in your div class equals card? You can choose one or more of any of the following. You can have a header by putting something in there with the class dot with the class card-header. You can have a footer by having something with the class card-footer. You can have what are called image caps. These are sort of like, um, you know the way if you, do you remember the old networks uh, that were were based off um, ah, coax? You had to put a cap on each end of a cable. Yeah. Right. So a cap goes on the top and the bottom of a card and you can choose to have only a cap on the top or only a cap on the bottom or a cap on each end but basically they're images that act they basically replace headers and footers with images oh okay so so, so sometimes a website will have like a fancy icon they use for the top and bottom of things and they would be image caps other times you might just want some text in which case you'd use a header and a footer you know it sort of depends on what you want you can have um, a group, sorry, a list. You can have a list within your card, which is actually quite common because, like I say, cards are often used to describe things. I often think of them as like top trumps. Uh, so lists are actually quite a common thing to want. So if you want to have a list, you would, you have to use the UL tag this time and you would give it the class list-group list and the class list-group-flush. What does flush um, mean? So flush is just the name of the class, I guess. It just means that it's going to not have a border between the edge of the card and the edge of the UL. But this is the... Oh, okay. So the UL would just smash right up against the edge of the card. Which is... Yes, which... Although that sounds odd, when you see the practical examples, that's actually what you want, because what you will end up with is nice segments in your card. Hmm. Okay. Can I back you up a little bit? You can, absolutely. (sighs) Image caps, how is that different than a card header? A card header is text, an image cap is an image. Oh, okay, so uh, so the the caps are always images. The cap, Yeah, so the cap is an IMG tag with the class card-image-IMG-top. Gotcha. Okay, okay, it's always an image. Okay. Yes, and a gotcha. header and a footer is always a tag that you put text into. And it can't have an image inside it? Oh, you could, but then you would still have your padding and stuff 
Yeah, it'd be all so, weird looking. So, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, it might you might want a little icon, right? So the, the, there are ways right. you could include an image that isn't weird, right? You could have a little icon on maybe the left or the right of your text, if you like. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, so an image cap is an image, and a header is text, which gotcha. you can decorate any way you like. You can also, within the body of your card, have an image. So not as a cap, just somewhere within the card. Makes sense. And you would just have an IMG tag with the class card-IMG. And that will, again, stretch out nicely to to sort of fill the card nicely, basically. And the other thing is the aspect ratio will be preserved, but the image will stretch to the width of the card. Huh. So it will always fit nicely, which is exactly like if you, if you look on podfeet.com, it's one of the reasons I call your list of podcasts cards, because they behave just like cards as I resize your page. The icons shrink and grow, and they stay the width of their little chunk. Yeah, not not without a whole lot of work. <laughs> oh, okay, well, you get that for free. <laughs> okay, with Bootstrap, you get that for free. That's standard behavior. Yeah, making those all line up and everything, nightmare. Um, ah, then you would love... Okay, then if, if you were using a Bootstrap-based theme, grumble, grumble, why isn't there a really nice Bootstrap-based theme we could all just plug in? <laughs> Um, um, I'll get back to that right as soon as you do yours. Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to lap you pretty soon. Um, so you're saying it, it does the, it goes full width. So if mm-hmm. it was super tall, it would go full width and, and do what with the height? The height will always be kept. The ratio will be preserved. Okay. 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 Gotcha. All right. I can picture it now. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then the last thing I mentioned, but it's probably the most important thing, a card can have a body by giving <laughs> some tag the class card-body. Uh, again, the body could be any. So you can use any tag for the header, the footer, or the body, but almost always it's a div. So the image caps have to be images, the images have to be images, and the lists have to be lists, but everything else can be any tag you like, but almost every time you're going to find divs. Okay. Now, the next question is, what goes in the body? Well, the body can have something referred to in the documentation as a card title, which can be any H tag, so H1 through 6, with the class card-title. So it has to be an H tag. Can't be any tag you like. You can also have subtitles, which again can be any H tag with the class card-subtitle. Card text can be any tag with the class card-text. And a card link can be an A tag with the class card-link. So why? what function do subtitles perform in this? Are they styled differently by default? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, that's it exactly, right? So titles are styled differently to subtitles are styled differently to regular text are styled Mm -hmm. differently to links. It is just about making it look appropriate. So let us start with what I'm calling kitchen sink example one. So this is all in PBS 83A, right? Okay. This is just uh, have one of everything, but I can't give you quite everything because like I said, headers and image caps serve the same purpose. They make no sense on the same card. So this time we're going to go with headers. Kitchen sink example two, we'll throw the headers away and go with image caps. Okay. So our first kitchen sink Starts off with a header, followed by an image, followed by some uh, a body, followed by a list, followed by a footer. So if we look at the HTML before we look at how it looks, you know, 
rendered. We say div class equals card, and I am saying style equals with colon 300px, because I want my card to be 300 pixels wide. Then the first thing inside that div is an h2 tag with the class card-header. And to make it look appropriate, we're using the bootstrap utility h4 to make it, you know, a reasonable size. So semantically, I'm marking it as an h2 because it's basically, I could have marked it as an h1. I I argued with myself quite a bit over that, but anyway. (laughs) Good, because I was going to call you on it either way. But yeah, I I love the fact that Bootstrap has an an h4 class. So you can say, okay, I know semantically this should be, in fact, that if I had my Bootstrap uh, theme that we all dream about, I would definitely do that because I don't like giant text. So I would, but with the way I've done that is I make most of my headings are H4, but semantically my pages don't make any sense. Yeah, you're lucky every once in a while I give you an H3, but don't get excited. There's nothing smaller or bigger than that. Yeah, exactly. And that that is the joy of Bootstrap helping you to separate your semantics from your look. So again, an H2, because my thinking is the page as a whole gets the H1, so the next level down gets an H2. Because you're not supposed to skip heading levels, yada, yada, yada. So anyway, card-header H4. Um, to make it look appropriate. And I have the wonderfully imaginative text, a card header. This will help you recognize it when you look at the (laughs) final rendered example. Uh, Then we're sticking in a regular card image. This is not an image cap. This is just a regular image. So we say image src equals pbs-logo.png class equals card-img. And I gave it an alt tag because I'm a good boy. And that's really all there is to that. I just say because you're not an animal. Well, there we go. Uh, Then we have a div with the class card-body. And then inside that div, we have our examples of what can go in a card body. So the first thing we have is an H3, to be semantically consistent, with the class card-title and the utility class H5 to get it shrunk back down to a sane amount, which contains the wonderfully imaginative text a card title followed by an H4, again, semantically correct, with the utility class H6, uh, with the other class, card-subtitle. And just to make it, I I tend to like to have my subtitles be sort of muted, so I use the bootstrap utility text-muted as well. And then I give it the wonderfully imaginative text, a card subtitle. Now, what would it have... uh... Would it have just been smaller if you hadn't uh, given it H6 and text muted? What would uh, so H6, okay, so the H6 makes it smaller than it would be normally. So an H4 is bigger than what you're seeing on the screen. No, I know, so but H6, remember I asked you, is card subtitle, does it look different than a card title or the yeah, card okay, body? So, okay, so if I took the H5 and the H6 out, then the card title would be bigger than the card subtitle. Okay, but you force them both to the size you want them to be. Exactly. Well, you'd have to pick uh, out the H- the H three and the H four too for the. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. I'd have to. I'd have lots of changing to do. But yes. Um, okay. If it was a P, a card, a card title, and a P with a card subtitle, the subtitle would have been smaller. Uh, except you're not allowed to have a P. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Sorry. Depriving uh, you of bathroom breaks. Um. Would. The rules say it has to, the title and the subtitle have to be H tags. You get to choose which H tag, but they have to be H tags. That's what so the docs say. What does card subtitle do? It's just it semantic. It makes sure the then. spacing, and not just semantic, it also makes sure that the spacing and padding and stuff is appropriate. Mm. 
Okay. So it doesn't necessarily control the side size because we're controlling it to be smaller. We could even make it bigger if we wanted to. That is true, actually. Yes, yes. So I, okay. I need to correct myself. Right. Yes. It's not so much about size. It's about everything else to do with making sure the font is appropriate. Okay. Uh, and the text that's muted is purely changing the color. Um, but I, I like that Got sort it. of more yeah. subtle. Yeah. That's followed then by some regular card text. And again, this is one where you can use any tag you like, but semantically, the obvious tag for a blob of text is the P tag. So I have P class equals card dash text. This is some card text. It's really not very exciting in any way. Oh, I want to say something nice about the text dash muted that they chose in uh, Bootstrap. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit worried the first time I saw use text dash muted a long time ago. I had just gone through the elaborate exercise of checking my website for accessibility from a contrast standpoint. I knew I had things like alt tags and that was all covered. But I had just learned that contrast matters to a lot of people. And so I'd run these yeah. tests. It's like, oh, my, my my page was littered with things that were not uh, you know high enough contrast. So as soon mm. as I saw you do text-mute, I went, oh, I'm going to prove to Bart that Bart stuff isn't accessible. No, it is. <laughs> the, uh, the WebAIM tool came back and said, no, text-muted looks good. I would imagine it is on the button of... The one is allowed. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's basically but, the minimum contrast allowed. But we should still celebrate when not yes. being stupid. <laughs> yeah, and actually, to be honest, Bootstrap's documentation, every single document in that pe- documentation, every page in those documentation, there is a section on accessibility. Every single one. So it's built in from the ground up instead of being bolted on after the fact. Exactly. So the Bootstrap people genuinely... Like, because they're always telling you what ARIA roles to use. They're always telling you, what, you know, what what attributes you need to use to make it accessible. That it is just in there. It, it's something that is ingrained in the Bootstrap team to always talk about accessibility. And I mean, you can abuse Bootstrap to make something really inaccessible, but it does involve sticking your finger in your ears and going la 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 <laughs> for the documentation. Okay. Okay, right. uh, so we have our card text. And the last thing we have, still inside our card body div, we have an A tag with the class card dash link. And a card, again, that that class is just making sure that it's all padded nicely so that it sits nicely as a sort of nicely separated out link that looks nice. So then we close off our body and then we start our list. So our list, we have UL, class equals list dash group space list dash group dash flush. So that's our two classes. And then our list items all have to get the class list dash group dash item. We just have, I have three LIs, list item one, second list item, and another item in the list. And then we close off our list. And then we have finally one last div at the bottom, div class equals card dash footer, text dash muted a card footer. Again, text muted just seems like an appropriate thing to do inside a footer. <laughs> so when you do all of that, you end up with either what you see in the HTML page or what you see in the screenshot in the show notes. You end up with a card header sitting above our wonderful Ninja Coding logo, sitting above a card title, a card subtitle. This is some card text, uh, a card link, and then our list of three items. And you see how having the list flush all the way with the edge of the card makes for a nice feel. Yeah, it's not flush against the edge of the border. It's Okay, the, the black border in the show notes Not the, is not the, the black ed- border. Okay. It's not even up against the light gray border. Isn't it? 
No, there's a nice padding between the edge of the list and the. Uh, it's not. It's not touching it. Like the the logo is. Oh, almost you mean the edge it? of the text because the borders touch all the way, right? The the line separating the list items go edge to edge. Oh, the ones above and below it. Right, but that's okay. So everything between the list item is going all the way to the edge, right? So so the, each list item has four sides of a border. They're just perfectly flush with the edge of the card. But the text isn't flush against that border. It's right, so the, there's padding inside the LI, yes. but the LIs are flush. So the LIs are not uh, little bullets. They are these boxes, basically. Yes, precisely. Yeah, okay. It's, it's just so much not work <laughs> you yes. just had to do to make that. That's, that's amazing. And when you look at it, do you not recognize this kind of thing as being all over the web? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And again, like you said, no work. We just put a few classes on things and the Bootstrap people did it all for us. So that's kitchen sink example one, where we used headers and footers. So kitchen sink example two. Oh, wait. So I can prove to you that I'm not using cards because on one of the things that really bugs the living daylights out of me is that the logos aren't the same size. They're not taking up the same amount of space. I've got them as much the same size as I can. The text of programming by stealth is up above the text of the other four uh, podcast names. Some of the names are two lines. So that means their text is lower than the other one. And just, ah, you would. Okay. You're really going to like what comes after these two kitchen sink examples, <laughs> except I can't use it, but go ahead. Okay, yeah, okay, you're going to appreciate, appreciate then, how's that for it? For yes, yes, okay. So kitchen sink example two has, is very similar pieces, but instead of starting our card, so again, we start div class equals card style equals with 300px, right? That's the same as before. Now, the very first thing in our card is now an image because we're using an image cap, which mm. is an image. So img src equals nc-logo.png class equals card dash img dash top okay so the dash top turns it into an image cap remember that class and remember we're going to be cranky at it in a moment okay i spoke over you and it cut your audio out the class card dash img dash top is what makes it be that little cap that makes it be the little cap so we have the rounded corners at the subtly rounded corners at the top and the board, you know, it's hard to tell on your blue logo, but the the subtle gray border continues nicely around the image. Yeah, okay. And the bottom two corners are not rounded because they shouldn't be because they're not on an edge. Oh, look at that. So it is nicely integrated, basically. It's, it's nicely used the image as if it was a header, which is the point of an image cap. Um, and then straight after the image, we have a card body this time. So div class equals card body. Then inside a card body, we have... Our H3 class equals card title H5, our, our subtitle copied pasted, our paragraph copied pasted, and our link copied pasted. Then we have our list copied pasted. And then instead of having a footer, we now have another image cap. What? So again, it's, yeah, because a cap goes on both ends of a coax cable, right? <laughs> but I I, it took me a really long time to find an both... analogy in the real world that has a cap on both ends. But Sorry, I, I spoke over you. Wait, say that again. It took me a long time to think of something in the real world with a cap on both ends. Yeah, because a pen doesn't have a cap on both ends. A, a person Ooh. doesn't have a cap on both ends. 
I have highlighter pens with two colors that have caps on both ends. There you go. Yeah, that might be better than the coax example because I can bend the coax so both of them are up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you do that to my highlighter, it will break. So card-img-top means to put a cap, but and it will be Not an at image, the top. but it is going to be at the top or the bottom or both. Yeah, I know. I that, 99.99% of the time, Bootstrap named all of their classes in a sane way. This is nonsense to me. <laughs> Card-img-top, as the last thing in the card, gives you an image cap at the bottom. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. funny. I, I, was, I, I don't always pre-read the show notes, but I did today. And uh, I was sending Bart a couple of little tiny typos, and I I copied this this exact section. I went, Bart, it says top. That should say bottom. But luckily, Telegram lets you delete things because he never saw oh. that message. Because the very next line is, notice that rather confusingly, both the top and bottom image caps have the class card dash image dash top. <laughs> yep. And like if they'd called it card dash image dash cap, yeah, it at least get something. Give, you know, meet us halfway, folks. Like. Top at the bottom? What? Give us a fighting but anyway, chance. <laughs> yeah, it it works. So I I I was really stuck for what to use as a as a as a, as a bottom cap. So um, I copied and pasted your pod feet three times and called it a cap. <laughs> um, so we have the Nosilicas logo as the header. Then we have our card content, and then we have your pod feet as the bottom cap. The pitter pad of little pod feet. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, that is quite a large image to use as an image cap. Usually it will be a small little icon or something. But anyway, I, you know, I, okay. I have limited creativity and time. So that's really all I'm going to tell you about individual cards. But I did tell you that there's two common use cases for cards. Either you have standalone cards as some sort of aside or something, or you have groups of cards for many similar things like a list of podcasts say Hmm. so bootstrap doesn't just provide us the cards it also provides us with mechanisms for grouping the cards so the first thing to say is if you want to have really complex groupings of cards that are responsive and all this kind of stuff use the bootstrap grid that's what it's for Right, so if you need to have five cards sometimes and then only three, actually you can't have five because that's not divisible by 12. If you want to have three or four or two sometimes and have, you know, if you want to do your standard bootstrap grid stuff, well, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Use the bootstrap grid. The cards will fill each cell in the grid. It will work beautifully. But if you want to treat a collection of cards as a single item, so maybe you would have them you would have three cards within a single part of your bootstrap grid. You can do that using two concepts that bootstrap give you. Card groups and card decks. Now, bootstrap are working on a third option called card columns, but their documentation actually says that this is a little bit immature and is not yet as reliable as they'd like it to be. So I have decided I am not going to fill our heads with stuff that may break in unexpected ways. Okay, don't worry, our pretty little heads about that. It's not ready for prime time. Yeah, now, what you think is if your cards are simple, it probably is okay. But if your cards get too tall, it starts to do funny things. So I've linked in the show notes to the relevant section 
so you can see what a card how card columns behave and they are kind of useful but i'm not going to spend time on them so let's that's just, that as we'll an exercise just wait. for the listener exactly so um are if we use card groups and card decks we don't use the bootstrap grid or it works in concert with it it, well, it works in concert so a card group or a card deck behaves like a single thing so you would put you would put them into a single call oh okay okay but you would you have to have a call well, no, I mean, you don't have to use the grid, right? You you can have your entire page always be the same width and never touch the bootstrap grid at all. But if you're going to do bootstrap layout where you have like a sidebar and all that kind of stuff, then you're going okay. to have calls. Okay. And then this would go in. So the the card group or the card deck go in as if they were a single paragraph, basically. Okay. So they become a unit and you treat them as a unit. So they're extremely similar to each other. It's just a visual difference. Card groups so, and card decks? Yeah. Okay. Now, one of the biggest things... So what they all have in common... So I say all. What both of them have in common is that they are designed to make sure that the header and the footer will be perfectly aligned with each other. So if you have cards with different lengths of content, the header and footer will be aligned. So the full height of all the cards will stay the same. Oh. Yeah, that's why you want to group them. Okay. So, now, in my case, I, I should have put footers on these. I didn't. That was silly of me. If I'd put the more button in a footer, then they would have all been in line with each other. Anyway, there we go. Yeah. So, very straightforward markup. You take another tag of choice, usually a div, and you wrap it around multiple cards. And you give this wrapping div the class either card-group or card-deck. So if we start with card group, we just say div cla- div classic was card dash group. And then inside that, we just put div classic was card and all the usual stuff, followed by div classic was card and all the usual stuff and as many more of them as we'd like. So if you look in PBS 83A, I did three cards, put them in a card group. And what we get is the three podcasts. And what a card group does is it basically makes them look a bit like a table, right? The cards have have been married to each other. They share internal borders, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So they're 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 touching in the same way that a button group touches in a bootstrap button group. Card deck, again, identical markup, but we change it from class equals card dash group to class equals card dash deck. Can I, and now, can I stop you for just a second? I'm sorry. Absolutely. The, uh this these card deck or these card groups have the same problem that I had in my layout, which is uh some of the titles wrap to two lines and then mm-hmm. it messes up the text under them. Seems like there ought to be a way to make that not happen. Uh you I guess you could use the bootstrap grid. Within a card group? Within well you wouldn't a use a card, a card group, you'd replace the card group with a grid. Yeah. Uh then I'd lose all this goodness. Right, but you get to, you'd actually have to split your cards themselves up as well. So yeah you, yeah, you would. Okay, well, they can't all be winners. Yeah, but now if we had a footer, the footer would stay in line. Yeah, that might make it visually feel more like they're straight across. Yeah. Um, The card deck then is exactly the same as the card group, but instead of them sharing a border, they remain little independent cards next to each other. Hmm. 
So there we go. And that that's it, really. That's that's all she wrote. But like I say, they're very, very useful little things, cards. Now those the in the card groups and then the card decks, um are the logos those are caps in this case, or did you do images? Uh, I think I did caps because they're top and bottom. And they okay. have little roundy borders. Yes, I didn't they need don't, to do caps. Two of them aren't touching the top and, and the third one is. That's why I uh, it's a, Well, the images actually are. It's just where the transparency ends. So your logo doesn't have a transparent background, so it goes all the way, whereas my logos have a transparent bit around them. Yeah. Because my logos don't have a background. Yeah, and that's what makes mine not line up right. Okay. All right. I just wondered if it was a bootstrappy thing or not. No, so if I were to put a pink border on each of those images to show where the images end, they would all be perfectly aligned. Okay. But only if Not it that pink. I suggest putting a pink border. <laughs> but it would be obvious. So that's it, actually. Oh, good. That was uh, pretty easy. It is pretty easy and pretty quick win. Just, you know, using these cards, you can end up with a very pretty looking web page very quickly. So... I am going to set you a challenge, which I haven't quite decided. I may make this a two-week challenge. That might be the best thing to do. Hmm. Because the stuff we're going to be talking about next time, just getting caught up on a bunch of little improvements to JavaScript, I'm not sure how to turn those into a challenge. Okay, so So, this challenge might last two weeks. So maybe if I set you this as a two-week challenge, then we have our problem solved. (laughs) It also also means I will wait for the extra two weeks to start. (laughs) I, I, yes, I would have done the same in my student day. I did do the same in my student days, repeatedly and often. Deadlines were made to be ignored. Um, <laughs> no, I never ignore a deadline. I am completely, I am, uh, deadlines paused. are my, are my boss. They are my, my reason for getting up in the morning and I will not do what they say until right before it's due. <laughs> yeah, well, like my, my special skill, I never missed a deadline in my time in college. Mm-hmm. But I was always, every week, that guy who dropped his assignment in at 16.59. Came skidding around the corner. Huh? Many a time, because the secretary in the experimental physics department, our, our assignments were always due Friday at 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. And that was the last thing the secretary would do before she left for the weekend. And she was almost set her watch by me coming skidding around the corner and going, here you go, Gronje. If you wore sticky shoes, you were flat on your face at the end, right? Pretty much. And I was basically, ah, Bart, thanks very much. Have a good weekend. Because I was basically always the last person she saw before her weekend. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, and I can say if it was a three-month assignment or a two-day assignment, I would be there matter. at the last minute. Yeah. Anyway. So this homework assignment doesn't look real hard, so there's probably something vast I'm not understanding. So It's it'll not probably... hard. No, it's it's not hard, but there's a long there's a very very large range between it works and it's as cool as it could be. So oh, this yeah. is the kind I'm of sort homework... of in low side compliance in that part a bit, so maybe I'll up my game this time. Yeah, so this is exactly the kind of assignment where you can really take it to the extra mile and make it as nice as possible. Um, And also, you say it's straightforward, but actually it's a very good way to just make sure that all of the various muscles we've been building up are all in full working order. Okay. So my intention here is to stretch you so that you're using... Basically, you're using your bootstrap... 
you're using your promises and or your async await. I don't force you one or the other, but I'm guessing you're going to go async await because <laughs> you love it as much as me. You're using your Ajax. It's a mustache. Your mustache templates, I do specify that in the assignment that you have to use mustache. So again, using all the different pieces we've been building up to for literally this year and a bit, we've been doing the, the web stuff. Actually, more than a year and a bit. Anyway, all this we've been building up to, tying it all together into one practical example. And cards are all about data. So I wanted a source of real data from actual planet Earth, something something genuine that isn't made up and arbitrary that you may want to actually display to people. And so I did a whole bunch of hunting around for something I could find that has a free API that doesn't require a bloody key (laughs) or money. And I eventually found something called exchangeratesapi.io, which is an open source project run as basically on a volunteer basis that publishes as an web services api the exchange rate information that is published by the european central bank as json so basically we have a url that gives us json data about actual genuine exchange rates (laughs) so as an example the urls are wonderfully simple https colon slash slash api dot exchange rates api dot io forward slash latest will give you back a JSON string representing the current exchange rates between the euro and a whole bunch of other currencies as effectively a JavaScript object, right? It's JSON representing an object. So the object has a key named rates, and that key is itself an object which contains keys for a whole bunch of world currencies represented as their three-digit ISO 4217 country codes. <laughs> okay. So CAD, I have learned, is the Canadian dollar. HKD is the Hong Kong dollar. Mm. Uh, GBP is an important one. That would be the British pound. And USD would be another important one, the US dollar. Um, I'm just looking there. Is the New Zealand pound in there? or No, no New Zealand have a dollar. The NZD must be New Zealand dollar for Alistair. Yeah. Um, oh, rub must be rubles. Yeah, I don't recognize all of these. I do have a link in the show notes to the ISO 4217 currency codes page, which lists all the different currency codes. Uh, so it says rates, and then we have this key value pairs, basically. So dictionary, as Jill has taught me to, to, to say it. So mapping three-digit currency codes with their current exchange rate against the base currency. So it's probably no surprise that after rates, the next key value pair is base and then whatever currency code those rates are against. So in this case, base euro, because def- being the European Central Bank, they default to euros. And then the last key value pair is date and then the date for which those currency rates are current, huh. which is the date I was writing the show notes, the 3rd of the 10th, 2019. So that is a nice, yeah, exactly. That is a nice little piece of data. So the next thing is that the web service can accept some good old fashioned um, URL parameters. So if we say question mark base equals in all caps, and it is case sensitive, I discovered. So base and lowercase equal sign capital or uppercase USD. We then get exactly the same information, but this time the base will be in USD and you will have the exchange rate of the dollar. So the US dollar to the Canadian dollar, the US dollar to the Hong Kong dollar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
That's cool. So that means that you can write a little collection of at least three cards. At least three. You can choose to do more. Each card should show the exchange rates between one major world currency of your choice and at least five other currencies of your choice. Okay, so you don't have to splat the entire list out. Yeah, that would just be ugly. Well, maybe, unless you can find a way to splat it out in a nice way. I kind of leaving it up to you, right? I've left it very open-ended. At least leaves it really up to you to decide what well, to do. Well, that actually tells me I have to figure out how to get certain pieces, like .usd or .nz, right? You do, yeah. You have yeah. a little bit of work here. You see? See? I mean, it is it is an achievable, sensible, real-world example. But being a real-world example, it is not free of nuance. Because the real world is full of nuance. Right. But... You have all of the tools and all of the Lego blocks to assemble a nice solution to this. It's now you're uh, basically taking the box of Legos and tipped them on the floor. Now it's up to you to build a house. <laughs> and we know how what all of the Legos are for. I'm sorry, yes. all of the Lego bricks are for. Excuse yes. me. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. People get very picky about the, about the, the pluralization of Lego. <laughs> Anyway, so that is your challenge, basically. So I do insist you use mustache templates, and I do insist you use cards, and all the rest kind of follows from that. So yes, I suggest using Ajax, because I'm not aware of any other way to do that. If you would like to spend some time in Callback Hell, be my guest, but I've told you, I've taught you better. Um, so it's up to you. <laughs> so before you give your final thoughts, um, Bart has heard this story about 14 times, but I'm going to tell it again here and tell you to look in the Security Bits show notes for this week. Um, I sent Bart this fabulous video. It, it Somebody posted this video of their cat, because it's a cat video. It's on the internet, right? And the, That's what the internet is full of, Allison. What's that? The internet is full of cat videos. That's what it's for. I know, exactly. Cat videos and something else that has four letters. <laughs> well, it's this... Anyway, it's this person posted this video of their cat, and the caption was, this is the sixth time my cat has tried to jump on the counter. And it's this enormous fat cat. I mean, there's no way this cat's going to make it to the top of the counter. But he gets ready, and he's ready, and he, and he itches. You know, he does that little butt wiggle. He goes back and forth. And when he quote-unquote jumps, he gets about a quarter of an inch off the floor and his feet just like hit maybe halfway up and he falls back down again. And I told Bart, it, that is me when I'm doing my homework because I truly believe I can do it every single time. And then I go, nope, got no bloody idea what I'm doing. And then I, But I go at it again and someday I will get to the top of that counter. <laughs> There's got to be a video somewhere of a, of, a, of a svelte athletic cat effortlessly jumping up, making it look easy, which is right, what that's, our, well, you know. that's our brains, right? We think that's, yeah, that's what we're, we're getting be. to. <laughs> but that's also what we're getting to, right? Because Alison from five years ago when we started this, or however long ago we started this, there was a know, lot more very different. Yeah. <laughs> right? And at this stage, you now do things like run Python or Ruby or whatever. I can't remember which one Python, it was you went yeah. off. Python. I, before programming by stealth and taming the terminal, I, I'm not sure you would have had the courage to just get stuck in. Nope, nope. I didn't learn Python, but I made it go. Right, but that's the first step. And the thing is, you probably could look at someone else's Python and figure out vaguely what it does. Well, that might be the next step. What Bart's talking about is I figured out how to use a Python script to pull videos from my Tesla's dash cam. 
And since I did that bit about it, uh, Tesla has improved the the dash cam video to include the reverse camera. So now I've got to modify the code to make it go look at that camera too. Yeah. Uh-huh. There we go. I actually, you know, I have never written a line of Python. Really? So, yeah. I'd be curious what it's like. So if, if I write a line of Python, I'm ahead of you. You are in terms of Python. <laughs> I can give you a long list of languages I have written lines in. Oh, fine. Uh, you haven't written anything in Fortran 4 with Watt 5, I bet. Uh, Fortran 90. Oh, child. <laughs> Wait, do you know that the numbers in Fortran are the years? So I Fortran did... 90 is from 1990, like the AK-47 well, was invented Fortran in What's Fortran 4 then? They must have changed their numbering. Yeah, because there's Fortran 1977. Huh. Okay. Well, there's a f- I'm pretty sure there was a Fortran 77 that was then replaced with Fortran 90. All I know is the last time I wrote Fortran was before you were born, so... <laughs> I obviously wrote Fortran after I was born. I, I was not writing Fortran in the womb. Fortran is strangely popular among physicists. Because it was in the physics department we ended up using Fortran to control some apparatus. Yeah, that involved like soldering pins to the to a parallel port. And somehow Fortran could talk to the parallel port. Anyway, well, we're getting sidetracked a bit. But a little bit. We have our Yeah, so final thoughts here. So we have now wrapped up our look at Bootstrap. So we know the four parts. We're comfortable with the concept of layout, styling of existing elements, custom components, and utilities. We know enough about all of them to go on RTFM whenever we need, as and when we need it. And remember, no developer remembers this stuff. That is not how it works. All we remember is how to look up what we need when we need it. And the other thing that's important to remember is what's possible. Because if you don't know what's possible, you can't go look it up. So as long as you know what's possible and how to read the docs for the particular products you use, and each product has their own unique and special style, you know, because you can read jQuery docs does not mean you can read Python docs. But with enough practice, you'll you'll figure out the Python way and then you'll be comfortable there too. But at this stage, I'm hoping that you're comfortable with the bootstrap docs, which to be honest, as docs go, the bootstrap docs are nice. I wish many more docs on planet Earth were as nice as the bootstrap docs. <laughs> the bootstrap docs are also entirely written in bootstrap. So anything oh. the bootstrap docs can do, you can do with bootstrap. I have to say, I find them a lot easier to read than the JavaScript docs. When you say the JavaScript docs, do you mean the ones at... Or jQuery, uh, sorry. Yeah, okay. Uh, jQuery's docs are... N- they're consistent. Yes. But I would agree with you that they are not the easiest. I know, I know how to make them like go. When you look up a word and it uses the word in the definition of the word is how I feel when I'm looking at them. I generally find I, 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 I am in tune with their strange use of the English language, but it took me a while to get there. And I will not say it's elegant. That would be lying. <laughs> but I have made peace. I am okay with them. It does make me feel a lot better that you say that, that programmers don't remember all this stuff. They just know what's possible and know... Uh, that they can go look it up because that that's encouraging. That makes you less discouraged when you're sitting there looking at it going, I know there was a thing, but I don't know what that, what was that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, No, honest to goodness, the skill is learning to read the docs. The skill is not learning by rote. Absolutely, positively not. In fact, that's dangerous because you'll forget subtlety and nuance. So I will 
always check the docs to make sure an API does what I think it does. Uh, What's this function actually going to return? I think it returns an integer. No, no. Let's go read the docs. What does it actually return? I guess you also and, learn if something's new, if there's a change to it, or, you know, the, the spec yes. changed or something, it'd be an advantage, right? Absolutely. And that happens. I ended up, oh, I ended up in so much trouble at one stage because I, I upgraded a component to a new version of an existing library. And they used to have a bug where a promise would resolve to an error. That's garbage, right? Mm-hmm. Having a promise resolve to an error object. And so I had written my code to work around this stupid bug. And then I upgraded the library and they fixed the stupid bug and my code broke. Oh. <laughs> There's some symmetry in it and yet not in, probably wasn't funny at the time. No, so there was a comment in my code to future self saying, this is stupid, but it's to work around a bug. And so once I saw that comment, I was like, I wonder if they fixed the bug. Oh, look, uh. they fixed the bug. And then I was able to refactor the code, but it took me a little while. Anyway, the next thing we're going to do is just catch up on a few little improvements to the JavaScript core language. And then I'm going to invent some sort of project for us to work on for a while to tie all this together. And then we're off to the server side. So that is that is where we stand. All right. This was fun, Bart. I really, like I said, I'm having a blast. So this is great. Can't wait to get to the next episode. And I'll, uh, we'll see. I may get to my homework sooner than three weeks from now. We shall see. We shall see. I'll prod you gently and kindly. <laughs> anyway. All right. Thanks a lot, Bart. No problemo. And until next time, happy computing. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.